Well, good evening, I'm Rick Dancer. Welcome to Get Real with Rick Dancer. And um, my office is my bedroom. <laughs> How does that make you feel? <laughs> Welcome to my office, my bedroom. No, as one of our guests who's coming on in just a minute said, if I get bored with the topic, you'll know because I'll be back there on my bed just sleeping or something. So we have a great show for you tonight. Um, a few, God, maybe a couple, maybe a month ago, I was online and I was talking about freedom of speech or something. And it was stirring up a lot of conversation. And then uh, Corey Thomas, a friend of mine, came on and he said, why don't you get somebody to come on and talk about it who might know something about it? <laughs> and he meant that as a compliment. I didn't take it as a bad thing. And, and I thought, okay. And so then I did some pushing around and I talked to Alan Thayer, a friend of mine who's an attorney in town. He goes, you ought to talk to Jim Hargreaves. And I said, is he still around? <laughs> I used to cover Jim Hargreaves as a judge um, in Lane County when I was a reporter covering courts and crime. And so Jim and I have been talking and they said, yeah, I'll come on and talk with you. So we've got a, a guy. We're just going to have a conversation. Uh, he says he's no expert, but he knows more than I do. And uh, probably some of us. But we're going to have a discussion so we can talk about what it is and what it is not. Hi, Shirley. Hi, folks. How you doing, Gary? Everybody coming in. That's great. We're seeing you. Um, and then Bill London will be up here a little bit later with the news. And boy, has he got a newscast to share with you. Remember that uh, ballot measure 110 uh, that legalized or decriminalized some hard drugs? Well, now there's some study out, some preliminary information to tell you how successful it was. <laughs> it wasn't. Uh, and we're going to have more news uh, coming up with Bill in just a few minutes. A couple things I wanted to ask you off the top is... Um, did you guys see this new article out today that new vehicles sold in the U.S. are going to have to average at least 40 miles per gallon starting in 2026? That's up from 28 uh, miles per gallon right now. I'd love to know what you think of that. Um, that would be an interesting thing. And also, I have a question for you. You guys always like to like kind of just half-ass questions, so we got one for you. Hi, Jim. How you doing? Uh, so the question is, now you guys are coming in so fast, I can't find my question. Oh, here we go. So... What is the name of a song that means something to you? I'd love to know. I put this out this morning and people were really coming up with songs that I haven't heard in God decades. So I'd love to know a name of a song that means the most to you. So those are some of the things we're going to look for. Let me know while we're going, while we're talking, and I'll try to put you in. And if you have questions for the judge or for me um, or Jim, we don't have to call him the judge. It sounds so formal. Jim would, and Jim is not like that. He's a normal guy. Um, but let's get our start going. We'll get some of our sponsors. And our sponsors tonight are Chris Dental Family Dentistry, where everyone is welcome. And in fact, um, Dr. Bratlin was just talking to me today. He's going to start advertising some more things. And we've got some more plans for billboards. And Albert Taylor, Endless Possibilities, an organization that takes care of people in our community with different abilities. And they do it so well. And they're always looking for staff if you're looking for a job. They're the people to go to. And uh, if you want something that really means something to, to your life, if you want to go home and feel like you did something all day, um, not just sit on a podcast and talk to people. Um, Albert Taylor is your place to go. So let's get the show kicked off and we'll move into the show. Who puts up with this? That's what I don't understand. Bring the lion out. Bring the, bring the lion. Um, tonight on our show, we're going to have... Hey guys, don't you think it's kind of fun that you get to comment on the news? There's a cost. Oh yeah, there's a cost. People come after you. Like, I think that's why this is so much fun is because... We'll see you at five.
So, you know, Simon Sinek is very popular these days with Y. Well, the Y and DD, uh, not a lot of ambiguity there. Okay, you know, I don't have to spend a lot of time explaining to new employees what we do and why we do it. It's very, very apparent, you know, versus, you know, you look at other things and, you know, you you look at it and say, you know, kind of what do we do? You know, why do we matter? Um, you know, why should I why should I feel good about my, my job every day? And I think that that is something that we provide for people is that 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 connection to a why that what you're doing makes a difference to the individuals to the larger community is very 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 clear and I, and I think i think in this world with all the turmoil and everything that's going on that sense of purpose and connection is very very important i think there's a lot of people out there looking for that and if you're one of those people looking for that <clears throat> albert taylor is a place where you can find it so freedom of speech you hear it tossed around all the time and i looked it up it's a noun freedom of speech and it's the right to express any opinions without censorship or restraint. But what is it really? What does that mean? Um, and joining me now, Jim Hargreaves, former Lane County judge, um, still works in judicial issues, still goes out and consults on law matters. And when I called him, he said, well, Rick, I'm not an expert on freedom of speech, but we did have a nice conversation. Jim, talk to people about um, some of the miscommunication about freedom of speech, what people don't understand about it. Okay. Um, I, I'm assuming that one of the really big misconceptions probably is uh, how this really applies. And under the Constitution, the federal Constitution, what it says is the government shall not limit essentially freedom of speech. So it's a, it is a check on the ability of the government to tell you and me and anybody else what they can and can't say, read, or, you know, express in some way. However, between you and me, uh, I can say whatever I want. So can you. Now, uh, there may be blowback from what you say or do socially, but it's not against the law. Nobody can throw you in jail or, uh, you know, if you, if you lie about someone, you know, if you call them a thief, you might get sued for libel or slander, but you know you can call them names. You can have employees in your company, and you can limit what they can say or do during their work. So the big biggest thing I think is to understand that the real limitations in terms of keeping people from saying or doing things, saying things or reading or whatever is against the government and not just you and me as private citizens. But there is a cost socially, or there can be. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, and particularly today, you know, where we've gone so far down this rabbit hole of, uh, you know, politically correct speech and thought and expression on both sides of the political aisle. I mean, you have 
both uh, ends of the spectrum kind of yammering at, oh, you can't say that, you can't do that, you can't do this, you know, you, we're never going to talk to you again because, you know, you don't fit our model. Uh, that's the social stuff. But that is, it is social. And, uh, you know, the government doesn't control that. Uh, essentially, nobody controls that. Does it have, so you've kind of, you know, you and I are kind of talking a little bit about this. You've watched what's going, what's going on right now with this cancel culture and canceling people for disagreeing. Why, why, why is that concerning to someone like yourself? Well, you know, I've always been a big believer in freedom of expression. And I really believe that we learn and we, um, get things from listening to all kinds of points of view. You don't have to agree with them, but who knows? You know, uh, if you don't listen, you don't know. You know, if you refuse to listen, then you're making assumptions about what somebody's going to say or not. And uh, you may or may not be right, but you know, I, I don't understand this fear, which is what it seems like to me, of people who have different thoughts and opinions than I do. I, I don't understand that. It, it, it makes no sense to me as a former journalist, and but you're obviously a judge too, and you had to listen to things and go, I got to listen to both sides of this argument to come up with a judgment of what's going on. And if we say the only person I can listen to is side A or side B, then what? where do we come up with a side C and D? You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, of course, the courtroom is sort of a rarefied uh, atmosphere, but uh, it's the same out in just the general world. You know, uh, I, I think, as I told you when our conversation, you know, when, back when I was in college, and I admit that's a long time ago. I was going to ask you about the story. <laughs> Even longer than your time ago, uh, you know, at the University of Oregon. Gus Hall, who was the president of the American Communist Party, came to the University of Oregon. He packed the football stadium, uh, uh, Hayward Field, with, you know, thousands of folks to, to listen to him. And people listened. And they didn't shout him down. They didn't heckle him. Now, he started a lot of interesting conversations and whatnot. But he he came with the blessing of the university. The students came, the you know, the city people came, and they went away with whatever they went away with. But um, they listened. And, you know, we've lost that. Because in politics, didn't that used to be the way? I think the nasty word now is there's two of them, um, negotiation <laughs> and, and consensus, you know? <laughs> it's like... How do you, you know, it seems like we've become a culture now that if we just can control the conversation and manipulate it, then we win. And I didn't know winning. I, I always kind of thought, well, in a judgment, isn't kind of sometimes, you know, not necessarily in a murder case or something like that. I'm talking about a judgment. Winning, you, you really, it's about compromising and coming to a solution that maybe no one's exactly happy with, but it's it it, it gets to the it gets something done. Well, and, and and that last 
piece is getting something done. And that's the part that it concerns me so much about government these days is what you have is you have these people on uh, diametrically far ends of the Republican Party and the Democratic Party screaming at one another, essentially, you know, and saying, you have to come to my end. Well, you have to come to my end. Well, nobody's going to the other person's end. Stuff happens in the middle. Right. It's always happened in the middle. And that's where you can actually accomplish things. And um, that middle is pretty hard to find these days because so many people don't want to go there. You know, Jim, I was talking to some friends the other day, and I've said it on this show before, is that it used to be in Eugene, you'd see a you know crappy old Volvo, and it had kill your television, don't trust authority, uh, don't trust big pharma. You know, now that's become a Republican car and the Democrats <laughs> have become the Republicans. They've gone so far extreme to either side, they became each other and they don't even see it. Well, in, you know, and, and, and I agree, you know, I remember back again in my ancient history, you know, uh, when Republicans, their base concept was just leave me alone. You know, just leave me alone. I'll leave you alone. You leave me alone. I'm not going to tell you what to do or what to say or what to think. Don't tell me. And that was it. You know, that was and now both ends want to control the other everybody else. And um, you just you can't effectively operate in that kind of an environment when you're talking, particularly when you're talking about government. So how do we get back to something like that? Do, do people, <laughs> you know, yeah, $10 million question. Do, yeah, well, do, if I knew that, I'd be so filthy rich. <laughs> you, you, would be, you would be David Letterman. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Jim gets told no. all the lot. He's, he looks like David Letterman because he really does. <laughs> but, you know, yeah, and that's the quandary is, uh, you know, we have somehow worked ourselves into this and how we're going to work ourselves out of it, I haven't a clue. Now, you know, if you look back, um, things that have brought this country together have mostly been wars where people can rally around and all of a sudden everybody is concerned about uh, all the things that go into the war. Well, I don't have to have a war to get people to listen to each other or to work together for crying out loud. Surely we can do it without that, but I don't know. I don't know how we're going to get out of this. It's a, it's a mess. I think with COVID, one of the things that kind of bugged me is like, it's like, you know, right off the bat, I was real careful because I thought, you know, I don't know what this is and it sounds real serious. And I'm, you know, and I, I took it like that, but after a while, so when, you know, and I started asking questions, I'm going some of the science, I just want to ask questions about this. Oh my God the bombardment of like, oh, so you're uh, you're a denier. And I go, whoa, 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 whoa. I'm, I'm a guy who's asking a question. And, you know, and it was, and I think that's when I started thinking so much about freedom of speech is we, we've lost that ability to be able to, why can't I question? We need to be questioning everything that goes on. It doesn't mean I, I didn't wear a mask. It just means I need to ask the questions about all this stuff or where are we going as a culture, you know? We're just gonna listen because 
you know, a bunch of people say, this is what you're supposed to do. And I'm on the, you know, I'm on the side where, you know, I used to tell people my problem is I'm a journalist and I keep going, well, wait, what if we ask this question? I'm not saying it's not happening. I'm just asking this question. And instantly it became, you're in that camp. You're in that camp. Yeah. But that's, and that's where we are is we, it, it's this sort of instant labeling. Uh, and once you're labeled, you know, you are disregarded by some group or another uh, based upon the label they've given you and they've chosen that label for you. So I guess the it's for each one of us to say, how much do I really, how, how, how far can I push this to, to use my freedom of speech and to understand that government can't stop me, um, but other people and, and culture and society can make it very difficult for you to use your freedom of speech. Well, and that's true. And at the same time, you know, uh, I think most of us, you know, we go through the world trying to get along with other folks and, you know, uh, we don't, most of us again, you know, we don't intentionally say hurtful things or uh, intentionally cause people pain. You know, we, we try to get along and uh, we just seem to be losing that sort of central theme of, you know, we're all in this together and, you know, we have to cooperate in some fashion to make things work. And that seems to have been eroded a lot. Do you think people are too easily offended today? Oh, by far, by far. You know, this whole concept of microaggressions and things, you know, uh, my God, the things we used to say to each other in college, um, you know, we had, we had a guy in the law school with us. He was of Chinese extraction from Hawaii. Just a great guy. Everybody, everybody loved him. I mean, he was just a, a wonderful guy. And, you know, somebody walk into the library and say, X, you know, if you were two shades darker, we wouldn't let you in here. And he'd laugh and he'd look at you and say, Howley, you come to Weiss, he's going to get a job first. <laughs> and you could do that. Right. You know, and we did it. And it was all in great good humor and we all laughed. But at the same time, you know, we knew him, you know, and but I never would have done something like that with somebody I didn't know. Right. But I mean, but there was this uh, ability to uh, kind of joke and laugh around what today would just absolutely petrify people. Well, and I think the problem with that is that if you are so offended by every little thing, then it keeps me like I get with my black friends and then not, not friends, friends, but I get in a black group of people and I'm watching every. So I can't have a real serious conversation because I'm so worried whether I'm supposed to say African-American or black. And so and, and so then what happens is I lose the conversation. And you know what I find, Jim, most of the time? It's not my black friends who give a shit. It's the white people who are standing up, who, who are trying to white privilege me. And, and even my black friends say, white people don't even know what white privilege is. 
you know, <laughs> you should ask them what it means because they don't even know. And and so then, but it, what it, my point is, <clears throat> then we don't even have these conversations. So how am I supposed to learn more if I can't even ask the question because I know that I'm going to be? And you, I mean, you we've seen people destroyed for saying just the wrong thing, and it's oh, I, yeah. I, and you know the 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 in some ways to me the saddest part of all of this is that it's now infected the college campuses yeah. and which you know in my opinion you know should have continued to be bastions of uh openness where you can say and do all kinds of things explore ideas and whatnot i mean that's part of the learning process but you know um you have schools telling professors and telling students they can't say this they can't say that they can't do this they can't do that and um i i'm just really glad i'm not going to college today yeah because you know you and i think all of us we you know you explore things you ask questions and ideas and then some people came away this direction, some people came away that direction, but it seemed like it was, and, and now, you know, I, I think back in my day in college, the, the you know, I remember the song, um, God, when this song, Next They'll Be Calling, oh, it was uh, Breakfast in America was the album, and Next They'll Be Calling Me a Liberal, because back then it was terrible <laughs> to be a liberal. And now I think the, the conservatives on college campuses are probably more endangered than anyone else. It's like we we got to bring that back where everybody can have a conversation and just, you know, and, and, and run through this, you know, like Mark Hatfield and Wayne Morse, two great examples. Mark Hatfield said in an interview I did with him, he goes today, he goes, when I ran for the Senate, um, Wayne Morse sided with me, endorsed me over the Democrat running against me because we both disagreed with the Vietnam war. And people here today hear that and they go, oh, well, of course. No, 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 no. 70% of the people in Eugene agreed with the war at that time, but they gave both candidates a pass and made them U.S. senators. He said today that would not happen. Yeah. Would well, be, I think that's true. Yeah. Yeah. Well. Um, Scott says there's way too much manipulation and guilt being used around the subject of POC. That is a yellow red flag for me. What, what I don't know what POC is. I'm sorry. I'm, an old guy. Of, I'm sorry. People of color. Oh. Um, and Gary says two-party system is poison. It formed because we had slavery. We don't have it now. We don't need to divide in our government. Well, you know, the most growing group of voters in Oregon <laughs> are the non-affiliates. <laughs> well, actually, there was just an article. I think it was in the Register Guard, maybe the Oregonian that showed that the non-affiliated had just passed the Democrats who long ago passed the Republicans. So the non-affiliateds now are the largest voting bloc in the state of Oregon. Uh, and my guess is that's going to get bigger and bigger because people get tired of listening to these people on the far ends of each of the parties and not hearing the middle ground that gets people together. And so they just give up on them. 
Don't you think, Jim, that deep down there's, especially Oregonians, just, you know, because I am one, what we know of it is we, we, we want to come to solutions. We want to come to an agreement. We, I think most people out there in the world want to find solutions to things and, and we get run by these loudmouths on the far left and far right that are just want to keep it, it. They just want to win. They don't care about any kind of solution in here. Well, yeah. I mean, that's the, to me, that's the difference between governance and power. You know, we have, we used to have enough people within the governmental structures around who could cooperate, who could talk, they may disagree, you know, vote back, but they talk to one another. And that's the, that's the essence of governance. And now it's just naked power. Yeah. Well, Jim, I want to thank you for coming on. It's, it's so nice to talk to you. And um, you were one of the good judges. There were many, but you were one of the good judges who would e easily tell me, no, Rick, you can't bring a camera in my courtroom. <laughs> I probably did that. <laughs> no, it was like we were one of the last, but it was always fun because you were at least pleasant about it. And you'd return the notes and say, no, that's not going to happen. But thank you for asking. It didn't happen with everybody. But Jim, thanks for coming on and just having this conversation. I think people enjoyed that. And it's really good for us as people. And uh, yeah, this guy's saying, thank you, Jim. Gary says, thank you, Jim. One of the best guests ever. So um, I think it's just nice to have the conversations and talk openly about stuff. And I appreciate you doing that with us. Well, thanks. It's been fun. And uh, I appreciate the opportunity just to chat. And it's been a great pleasure. Well, next time I have some real big question here, unfortunately, now I have your phone number. So if I have some legal question and I want to do a show on it, I may call you. And this is Corey who asked for this show. So, Corey, there you go. That's that discussion. So thank you, Jim. Thank you. Uh-huh. All right, you guys. So there you go. Um, uh, it's, we just What we're saying is we just got to be talking. We got to be resisting the temptation to uh, be offended resist the temptation to want our way, resist the temptation to win, um, and just stop listening to that and start talking to your neighbors and finding out not what they believe in, but why they believe in it. Um, I think that's a super important thing. Dr. Bratlin is going to come up here and then Bill London will join us with today's news out of Oregon. Crowns and we do really good crowns. Um, and it's funny, a patient asked me the other day, is like, how are you giving such cheap crowns? And, and I think they think that maybe I'm having like lesser quality. I have really good quality crowns and we do really good work. And we're, we charge, if you don't have insurance, we charge 998 bucks. So if, let's say you break a tooth and you know you need a crown, you can call us and that's how much you're paying. Um, uh, you're not gonna, we're not gonna charge you all these add-ons. You don't want a crown that breaks. I don't want stuff from China. Uh, it's a local lab. Uh, they're phenomenal. You're gonna come in the chair. We're not gonna charge you for a limited exam, x-ray, um, a core build up in a crown. We're gonna charge you 998. Good evening from the KPNW News Radio, 1120 AM and 93.7 FM KPNW Studios. I'm Bill London, also known as the guy with the clear-cut hairline. Yeah, look at that. Yeah, you a little clear-cut going on there. A little thinning here, but this is a clear-cut. All right, here's a look at some of the stories we're following. 
The Oregon Supreme Court left untouched a ballot title for an initiative that would end the OLCC's monopoly on liquor sales and allow grocery stores across the state to sell booze. Trent Lutz, a member of the Oregon Education Association and an official with them filed a challenge to the certified ballot title for ballot measure uh, for the ballot measure on January 5th. The court finally made a decision on it and they decided the title which reads eligible retailers and wholesalers may be licensed to sell distilled liquor retailers taxed on sales would be sufficient. The grocers are now considering whether to move ahead with a signature gathering of 112,000 signatures. Problem is, at least for the grocers, they have to get all of those signatures by July 8th, and time is running out. So wages in Oregon are rising rapidly, but inflation is still holding the upper hand. The state's average private sector hourly wage was $31.11 in February. That according to the Oregon Employment Department, and that is up a buck 82 from a year earlier. But when you start factoring in annual inflation, which was a whopping 7.9% in February, Oregon workers are actually losing ground. They're effectively making less than they were a year ago. In Oregon, real wages fell by 1.6% in February. Inflation-adjusted paychecks dropped even more rapidly nationwide by 2.6%. Economists have a number of explanations for why inflation is running at its hottest pace in four decades. The global supply chain crunch has demand for goods outpacing supply. That pushes up prices. But the other big factor? Higher salaries. Oregon has more open jobs than unemployed people, forcing companies to bid up wages to try and bring in staff, and then those businesses pass those wage increases along to consumers. David Cook, a statistics coordinator for the Employment Department, says 80% of Oregon workers have lost ground to inflation, and Cook says that the Oregon wage data underscores the toll that inflation is having on what workers take home. Underscoring that is the latest numbers out from the National Federation of Independent Businesses. They represent small businesses. 22% of owners reported that labor quality was their top business problem right in front of inflation. Actually, inflation is first. That's the second. My bad. 8% of owners cited labor costs as their top business problem. Small businesses reporting that labor costs as the top business problem is at a 48-year record high. According to Bill Duncanberg, the NFIB chief economist, he says the labor shortage hasn't eased on Main Street as the number of job openings exceeds the number of unemployed workers. And so owners have had to increase their compensation to attract the right employees for open positions. However, he says, these rising labor costs are passed on to consumers through higher prices. Oregon U.S. Senators Ron Wyden and Jeff Merkley have sent a letter to the Biden administration asking them to extend the pause on federal student loan payments until the end of the year. The current pause is due to expire May 1st. It was put in place, of course, during the pandemic. Merkley and Wyden say the payment freeze saves borrowers about 400 bucks a month. They also have another ask, and that is what they're calling a, quote, meaningful amount of student debt being canceled. A number of other Democrats in the Senate and the House also signed on to the letter.
So Portland has seen a continuing rise in shootings as the city is trending towards another record high year of gun violence. So far, January, February, and March, there have been 370 shootings in Portland. That's just in three months. And already, that's 100 more than the same time period last year. The numbers aren't slowing down, and a number of Portland residents are saying that hearing gunshots is now a part of everyday life. On Saturday, a teenager was shot in broad daylight in downtown Portland. That 14-year-old was hospitalized. Last week, police responded to multiple shootings, including one during a street racing event. Department officials say they want to devote more resources to focused intervention, but because of all the police officers that have quit and the inability to hire new ones, they don't have the people to do it. All right, so remember back when Oregon voters approved the ballot measure in 2020 that decriminalized hard drugs and the way that it was sold was as a way to establish and fund addiction recovery centers offering people in the throes of drug addiction aid instead of incarceration. So here's how it worked. In the first year after this new approach took effect, which was in February of 2021, 1%, 1% of people who receive citations for possession of controlled substances actually asked for help via a new hotline. Now, Oregon is the first state in America to decriminalize possession of personal amounts of heroin, meth, LSD, oxycodone, fentanyl, ecstasy, and every other street drug. And the program is being watched by other states. Now, under ballot measure 110, possession of controlled substances is now a newly created class E violation instead of being a felony or a misdemeanor. And the maximum fine is a hundred bucks. Essentially, these people are given a ticket. They can waive the $100 fine if they call a hotline for a health assessment. And that call was supposed to lead to addiction counseling and other services. All right, so the numbers. Out of the roughly 2,000 citations issued by police in the year after decriminalization, 92 people called the hotline. That was by mid-February of this year. And of those, 19 requested resources for services. Now that is according to William Nunneman. He is with the Lions for Life. They run that hotline. About half of those who got citations, in other words, about a thousand people, didn't even bother to show up in court. State officials have reported along with this, 473 unintentional opioid overdose deaths between January and August of 2021. That's the most recent months that the statistics are available. The vast majority of those, however, occurred after decriminalization took effect. That surpassed the total for all of 2020 and is 200 deaths more than we saw in 2019. The state reports that opioid overdose visits to emergency rooms and urgent care centers has also skyrocketed. Eugene Senator Floyd Prezonsky, who chairs the Oregon Senate Judiciary and the Ballot Measure 110 Implementation Committee, said he's surprised that more of those ticketed weren't taking advantage of the recovery options. 
but he still defends the program. He says it's too early to approach how it's really going. No. And as far as how much money has been spent so far on this program, $31 million has been paid so far for thousands of doses of naloxone, which reverses overdoses. Also, it's paid for thousands of syringe exchanges and hiring, and this is according to the report, dozens of care centers and staffers, including recovery mentors. That's according to the Oregon Health Authority. So how's it going, really, in the year since it's been rolled out? It has failed miserably. All right, Rick, time for you to get really real, Rick. You get real. I intend to, Bill. Thank you. So the question I get the most in Montana is, did Oregonians really legalize or decriminalize the use of like small amounts of heroin and methamphetamine? I kid you not. That's the question they ask the most. And I say, yes, we did. And they said, what is wrong with you? And that's that's conservative and liberal, all your labels you want to put on there. That's all of them. They can't believe Oregon did that. And now Bill has these results of that and what it really is not doing. And the best that lawmakers can come up with, like Floyd Przansky, who I, he's a nice man, but I'm surprised more aren't taking advantage of the program. What needs to happen perhaps is maybe the lawmakers who create these laws should sit down and talk to the people who are affected by them, like these drug users and these folks like that, and find out what they really need and what they want and what they're going to do. It's the same thing that happens in Eugene with the homeless thing. How The city councilors were asked or offered by police to come down and walk around the park under Jefferson Street Bridge when all that was going on down there and the crime and everything. None of them took them up on it. Huh, they didn't. I used to go down there and I'd ask them questions. Why are you here? Because you guys give, give us free medical care. You give us, you know, we can get now drugs are legal or decriminalized. They'll tell you. It's not brain surgery. You just have to ask the question or maybe you really have to want to know the answer. And that's the problem that we have or that you now have in Oregon is you need to be doing your homework. When somebody tells you something's going to work, find out for yourself what it is. And if it doesn't sound right, good God, don't vote for it. Jeez, you have this thing inside that's a conscience and you have this little, these, these feelers and you kind of go, you know, that doesn't sound right. But they said, no, what, go with what your gut tells you. <laughs> so now you have this law and lawmakers will keep using it, doing it, beating it to death to the end until more people die and more stuff happens rather than just cut bait, get rid of it and go back and give these people the help. Go ask them what they need. Not somebody who's getting paid to do that. Ugh, God, it drives me crazy. Thank you for being with us. Uh, Judge Hargreaves, thank you for coming on and joining us. And I loved his advice. We just need to listen to each other again. And don't be afraid of information that you don't understand. Instead, 
go listen to people and go listen with an open. Remember when Eugene used to have bumper stickers that said, your mind is like a parachute. It works when it's open. Well, why don't we open our minds and start going, you know, maybe everybody that disagrees with me or that I don't agree with, maybe they've got some valuable information to add to the conversation. We can do this. I mean, really, America can do this. We can change that. But we have to be willing to, and we have to be willing to listen to other people and not have to be right. You don't have to win an argument to win an art to win this, the whole situation. And there's nothing, nothing wrong with being in the middle. The Republicans will call you a rhino and the Democrats will shun you. But there's nothing wrong with being in the middle. And the Democrats and the Republicans had better be very careful because the middle is growing. And when the masses get big enough and Oregon decides it's time to open their primary and stop listening to the corporations, the parties, and the unions who don't want to open the primary, you might want to ask yourself, why don't they want to open the primary? Hmm. Hmm. It's that word that Judge used. Power. Power. So you know what? There's a way to take their power away. Start listening to each other. Share this on your page with other people so they can see it. We appreciate our sponsors, Chris Dental Family Dentistry and Albert Taylor, Endless Possibilities. Now, go act like an Oregonian and grow a pair. 